EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast episode where board studying is now more enjoyable. My name is Blake Briggs. I'm joined today by Dr. Iltafat Hussein. What's up? Today is a very special, special episode. Uh, we are special. M- very special. <laughs> <laughs> we are more than happy. Is that another last we hear? Is that another laugh there's a, here? There's a Who third person that? in the room, and this is Dr. Casey Glass. We're going to introduce him in a second, but just remember, for each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain some, we're off to a great start, some high-yield board knowledge, as we like to say, come for the SEM, stay for the content. Please sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, as well as printed handouts on topics. You can go to our website at www.emborebombs.com. That is emborebombs.com. Also on Twitter and Instagram, at emborebombs. Um, check us out. We post some interesting photos, algorithms cool facts about cool medical things, and subscribe to our podcast. Let's introduce our special guest today. We would be honored if you would join us. We have Dr. Casey Glass at the Casey Glass on Twitter. It is a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here. Do a quick introduction here. Dr. Casey Glass is the assistant ultrasound merchant department director here at Wake Forest University, Baptist Health. He's also the director of the ultrasound integrated curriculum at Wake Forest School of Medicine and the director of ultrasound education for the Center for Experimental and Applied Learning. He's re- bossing it. Bossing it. Director yeah. of a lot of things. I direct things. <laughs> direct. <laughs> It's a director. Yeah. I make things up, and then I talk to other people, and we go and do those things. Sounds like academic medicine. Yeah. It is, it is quintessential academic medicine. Received his doctorate in medicine from Penn State University, trained in residency at Wake Forest, Baptist Health, and his ultrasound fellowship was at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte. Again, you can find him on Twitter at the Casey Glass. He is on LinkedIn, Casey Glass, and he's also a member of SAM, heavily involved. He will also be at SAM 19 in May. Dr. Casey Glass, thank you again for... Uh, being with us today. We well, really thanks appreciate Thanks for it. asking me to be on. Please. We're really excited. And really for our, our listeners, we're really excited to bring you um, some of the key ultrasound things that you're going to be seeing on your boards. And this is just part one in a series of content that we're going to be doing uh, in conjunction with um, Dr. Casey Glass related to ultrasound and what you need to know for the boards. Uh, we would highly recommend folks find us on Instagram. If you're driving, obviously don't do that. But if you're not, uh, find us on Instagram because we're going to be posting ultrasound images and videos in conjunction with these lectures that we're doing. So as soon as these podcasts drop, you're going to be getting feed into Instagram where you can see uh, some of the key things we talk about. Yeah, and so the big picture here, kind of diving into this, and we're going to hand this over to the Casey Glass, is going to be what applications does ABEM consider core and what's going to show up? So obviously today we're going to be talking about, you know, three major things. Discuss ultrasound and board exams. Discuss the type of classic images you would see, which they're not that many, and thankfully those are pretty good. And then we're going to talk about kind of the, the main hang-ups that students or residents get uh, when it comes to taking the exams with not just picture questions, but the approaches to a lot of the measurement questions and things like that. So Dr. Glass, we'd love to hear your take on this. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges is that in terms of uh, ultrasound content on the board exam, uh, you're really dealing with two very different populations of test takers. You're going to have your recent grads who are going up for their first time through the boards, Uh, who are coming right out of residency, haven't had a bunch of ultrasound education. Uh, And then you're going to have, you know, the attending who is recertifying after 10 or 20 years who maybe got no ultrasound education. Um, And the reality is that there can be ultrasound-based content on the board exam. 
um, and you kind of need to know what to study. If you're a recent grad, you're going to have been exposed to a whole bunch of ultrasound studies and techniques which quite honestly are not going to be on the boards. And so in terms of your studying, you want to kind of direct your efforts towards the high yield topics that are going to be there. So if you've been out in practice for 10 or 20 years, you really need to kind of prepare yourself for the ultrasound content you might see on the exam. And the good news is you don't need to go and spend a whole weekend at a course, although I would, as an ultrasound guy, recommend that you do that. But uh, if you're just studying for the board exam, there are some high yield topics and some, some very specific things to make sure that you can recognize in terms of ultrasound content. The other side of that is that the whole board exam is about to change. So at least for the next couple of years, there's still going to be the sit down half day test that we are all used to. That we love. That we love. So good. <laughs> so clinically useful. Um, but they're going to start rolling out this more topic-based annual exam. And so we might see that, you know, in a given year, that's the ultrasound year where there's going to be a big chunk of ultrasound content. And then you might not see it again for four or five years or 10 years, depending on what ABEM wants to do with the exam. So it is kind of a, a real interesting time for ultrasound content. Absolutely. You know, kind of moving forward, because you both mentioned it was the videos versus still images. And that's kind of one of the biggest hangups, of course, is on these test questions. You can't get a video in a lot of the written exam for right now, what it is, especially on the, the ISE for the resident perspective and the shelf for students, uh, although they won't have as many ultrasound pictures. And so kind of taking this forward, what are kind of the very limited options? What are going to be the big, the big things you're going to see that are, okay, this is a picture of this. You absolutely have to know this picture. Uh, yeah, so for all, the source of ultrasound content you're going to see on a board exam, the findings should be pretty straightforward. So there's not going to be nuance there. You're, you're not going to have to agonize over whether or not there's a little pericardial effusion in this echo picture, or is there a, a trace of free fluid on this FAST exam. The findings should be pretty obvious. Um, and then uh, both of you have mentioned a little bit the mode that it might be presented. So on the, the in-service exam, which is paper, you're going to get a terrible paper printout of a picture. So there, even more so, yeah. the image is going to have to be really clear. Somebody hand-sketched it. Yeah. It's pointillism. They yeah. just, it belongs in the Guggenheim. Isn't but, this supposed to be a uh, color Doppler? Oh, yeah, it's gray, though. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't photocopy in black and red and, yeah. and blue. It's a grayscale so. copy. Anyway, what were you saying? Uh, well, so it's interesting, though, because the the actual oral boards and uh, for the written actual board exam, they are starting to roll out video content. So you can actually have video vignettes uh, in both of those exams. And so it's possible, uh, although I haven't seen it yet, um, that you could get an ultrasound cine loop or clip, which would give you a little bit more context and be a little bit easier to see. Um, Historically speaking, the quality of non-EKG images on the exams has always been pretty poor. What are the common U.S. pictures, though, you would, you would say you absolutely have to know? So, I mean, I, I think that you really should have an understanding about abnormal FAST exam findings. So kind of a, the classic positive right upper quadrant view is going to be something that has definitely been on the boards before and would be an easy picture to put in there. Another way that we see sometimes, you know, board questions presented are what's the next step mm -hmm. or yeah. what yeah. is the first, you know, so could you just go a, a quick primer for especially some of our med students and our residents when you're doing a FAST exam, at least just going through the order and some of the nomenclature they might use and, and obviously, you know, the indication as well. Yeah, excellent. Um, and for most of these ultrasound cases, 
uh, and true in case management and the boards in general, they want you to be aggressive. So kind of uh, nickel and diming your way through a case is not the way the ABEM wants to see you manage patients. They want to see you be aggressive, move as fast as you can towards stabilizing treatment, uh, and not you know spend a lot of time in the gray zones trying to get extra information to decide you know uh, what finer points of, of patient care you should be doing. So for the FAST exam, you got to know a little bit about the exam. The FAST exam is most useful for patients with penetrating thoracic trauma or blunt abdominal trauma. And yes, uh, don't send your emails. I know there are exceptions to some of those things, but big picture, those are the biggies. Why do you look at me? I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for an unstable blunt trauma patient, your car accident patient who is uh, hemodynamically unstable, if they show you a positive FAST exam, the next uh, management step should be to go to the operating room with that patient. So in terms of ED management, you know, if, you're, uh, if one of your options is you know, transfer to operative uh, care, that would be one of your choices. If you're working with a trauma team in the scenario they provide for you, then uh, you know, facilitating movement to the operating room would be the case there. You know, wrong choices would be CT scan or additional imaging or things or like that. DPL. Right. Or a DPL. Or a DPL. I love it when they when people want to do DPL. But, yeah, you know. things we learn about in school that we don't do anymore. Yeah, it's very <clears throat> exciting to watch people. You know, and and for fast exam, at least indication for doing that during a trauma event. What's the common one that they're going to? I mean, if you, textbook speaking, you know, a fast exam is indicated again for patients who have penetrating thoracic trauma. In which case, the most important thing you're looking for is uh, tamponade from pericardial effusion. So, and that's key, right? Because they'll oftentimes say, what's the first thing, right? Yeah. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm looking in the right upper quadrant, right? Yeah. But in a case of penetrating trauma, as we talked about in one of our pods, right? You need to be concerned about yeah. that. Yeah. Right? And then for blunt trauma, the real indication to use the FAST exam as a screening tool is hemodynamic instability. There you go, yeah. And so they may present you a case where the patient is stable, but has a positive FAST exam. And in that case, that patient is fine to go on to additional imaging as long as they remain stable. And they're gonna be fairly obvious with the hypotension too. I mean, this isn't, again, gonna be one of those quasi's at 101 on the systolic. It'll be in young people less than 50 years old, it'll be less than 90. And in a person above 65, it'll be less than 100, probably for the blood pressure. That's probably where they're gonna go with that. And one thing I want to add too, was that sometimes boards will also sneak in the whole, we know they need to go to the OR, but what's the immediate, the question will be, what's the immediate step? And one of the answer choices will be, you know, transfuse blood. Yes. And that would be, of course, what you do immediately in the ED instead of transferring to the OR. That would be, yeah. the, that's one of those classic board questions is what's the definitive management or what's the immediate step right now? Um, and so I feel like the younger emergency physicians can easily look at a screen and say, oh, positive fast. However, you're 100% right. I think that the questions now are saying, yeah, we know you know that, but what do you do next? And is it the right step? Right. So I think it's perfectly exactly. perfectly true that these type of questions are going to be more what they're called secondary or tertiary questions that they know you figured out the first step, but what do you do with that information? So Yeah, so these sorts of findings would fall right in that same category as showing you an EKG with a STEMI or showing you a chest x-ray with the obvious pneumothorax. Right. These ultrasound stimuli are now just in the realm of things that you should be able to look at and know what to do with that. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about like what sorts of things might you see on there, and I think it's worthwhile to uh, step back a step and just take a big picture look at the kinds of things that ABEM ultrasound-wise might put on the exam. And we talked a little bit in the intro about what is considered the core applications of ultrasound for emergency medicine. Yeah. 
I think most emergency medicine residency training programs now, if they've been doing ultrasound for a while, probably have a pretty broad base of practice. For example, in our program, uh, we do basically everything that you can do with ultrasound. Um, and so, shout out Wake Forest. Yeah, and so in terms of you know <laughs> residents uh, knowing a lot about many different ultrasound applications, uh, they graduate with you know the knowledge to to do a lot of different things with the ultrasound machine. Uh, but ASAP really tends to keep, or rather ABEM tends to keep the test content to uh, the original kind of founding exams for the specialty, things that uh, we can count on to be taught at every residency program and that most physicians, if they've taken a course or taken up ultrasound since then, would be expected to have seen. And so big picture wise, that's going to be examining the aorta for aneurysm. It would be evaluating first trimester pregnancy for the presence of an IUP. Uh, it would be doing the FAST exam and recognizing the classic FAST findings of positive abdominal free fluid or pericardial fusion. Uh, and then you may also have cases about um, IV access or things like that. Uh, I have heard that there have been some gallbladder cases that have shown up here and there, but uh, I don't know that probably in terms of a a POCUS type finding that that would necessarily be the case. It might just be kind of a general imaging stimulus again that they would expect you to see. Yeah, that's something that uh, I may or may not have seen doing some <laughs> review questions. <laughs> but that's something that, you're right, it's a, probably a very case-by-case -case thing. I think yeah. on med student shelves, also I think maybe more of a med student thing, but they, they show you a picture of the gallbladder yeah. and they're like, what do you do next? Yeah. And it's an empty gallbladder and they're symptomatic, you would rule out colidocolithiasis, yeah. something like that. So you're right, it's not a core one, but it's something to think yeah. about. Let's talk about aorta. That's one of the ones you mentioned. Sure. What's a clinical case that they would give you into some of that context that we talked about, how ultrasound is a part of it, and some of the key just bread and butter measurements as well? So I would say the classic case for that's gonna be um, an elderly person, probably you know age greater than 65, with back pain and then the vital signs they'll show you are, will generally show some hemodynamic instability, so hypotension probably, um, although maybe not. They might just show you a, you know, a patient with back or abdominal pain and then give you this ultrasound stimulus. So in terms of the point of care exam, the part of the aorta traditionally taught is the abdominal aorta between the diaphragmatic hiatus and the uh, aortic bifurcation into the iliacs. Uh, that aorta should measure less than three centimeters along that length. Less than three centimeters. So three centimeters is the major finding. And if they show you a stimulus, it usually would be dramatically bigger. They're not going to show you a three and a half centimeter aneurysm. They're going to show you a six or seven centimeter uh, aortic aneurysm that should be pretty easy to identify. Um, one of the things that classically you don't see on ultrasound is... Uh, free fluid. And so uh, if you've looked at a lot of aortas, you may be able to pick out some signs of uh, leaking. But remember, that's not really the point of the aorta exam. It's really just to find the aneurysm in the first place. Great. So we got that measurement. It'll be pretty obvious. And again, that clinical context of that hemodynamic instability, especially your older person, you know, with back pain as well. Or any other questions on that? Yeah, so no questions at all. But I just <laughs> want to share my own personal stories. Yeah. I was in the ED one time working with a a way student visiting here and they were they went to the room to do an ultrasound of the aorta so why don't you get started i'll be in there in a few minutes you know pretty no harm thing to do they go to do the ultrasound and they come out they're like i said how the aorta look did you get a good look at it like oh yeah i found it was only about uh, like three inches i'm like first of all we don't really use inches <laughs> second of all um okay so i go in the room and look at it so what he meant to say was it was like eight centimeters <laughs> when he said it was three inches <laughs>
So it's eight centimeters. So it was actually an eight centimeter, no joke, uh, aortic aneurysm. He went to the OR. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> anyway, we yeah. can move on. So there you go. A medical student can find it. So yeah, yeah if you've been yeah. out for 20 years, they're going to expect that you can find it too. If they yeah. show you the Well, hopefully by it. then, if it's eight centimeters, his yeah. belly is like vibrating. Yeah. Just don't remember not to measure in inches that it's centimeters right. for that. So. Really, we shouldn't be using that system at all, but it's okay. Well, we can move on. That's a whole. We can do a whole other podcast on. I know. <laughs> the weird interface of the imperial metric systems in medicine. Mm-hmm. So your height yeah. is in feet, in inches, but your weight's in kilograms. So right. let's let's square that circle. Anyway, moving yeah. on. What you just heard was part one of a multi-part series on ultrasound and its kind of intersection with board exams, and really just kind of going over and reviewing the main core exams and the core clinical findings you should be seeing on these ultrasounds as an emergency provider. It's a great review for new beginners, as well as Dr. Glass said, people that are 20 years out. Um, We really do thank him for his time. Just a shout out to him again. Remember, he is on LinkedIn, Casey Glass, MD, and he is on Twitter at TheCaseyGlass. We'll be posting Instagram photos and questions of classic board exam clinical scenarios. So follow us on Instagram. It'll also be posted on Twitter. Remember that we are at EM Board Moms. You can also go to our website directly and catch some photos, catch some handouts we have on select topics. If you subscribe to our email list, you can know when these episodes and when these special events are dropped out. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.